Hi, this is Tanya Domi. Welcome to The Thought Project, recorded at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, fostering groundbreaking research and scholarship in the arts, social sciences, and sciences. In this space, we talk with faculty and doctoral students about the big thinking and big ideas generating cutting-edge research, informing New Yorkers and the world. Joining us today is David Bloomfield, Professor of Education, Leadership, Law, and Policy at Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. He is also a former general counsel of the New York City Board of Education. Bloomfield is author of American Public Education, Third Edition, and many chapters and articles in the field of education expertise. He has also appeared in hundreds of published columns and press comments for respected media outlets in broadcast, print, and online sources. He is a certified elementary and secondary teacher to include certification at the level of district superintendent. The COVID-19 pandemic has wreaked havoc with American education at all levels, but in particular for grades K through 12, mask mandates directed by school leadership, mayors and governors has become a contested requirement, spilling over into violent actions taking place in school board meetings across America. In New York City, the home of the single largest school system in America, with more than 1 million students in attendance, Mayor Bill de Blasio has admitted he learned from his mistakes made during the first year of the pandemic that was without vaccine protection. There were fits and starts of opening and closing schools due to the high level of infection, which New York City suffered from as the first major center of the pandemic in early 2020. But not all children are protected through vaccines just yet. Although those who are 12 to 18 years old were finally covered at the beginning of school this year. Younger children will have access to vaccines later in November. Mask mandates have been directed by school and political officials to keep in place until everyone is vaccinated and protected. The governors of the states of Florida and Texas have banned all mask mandates. And critical race theory, a course developed for law students, has become instrumentalized by the American right wing and used as a battering ram against public schools and their curriculum. Not only has COVID-19 wreaked havoc in American schools, but so has the politics of racism. Welcome back to The Thought Project, David Bloomfield. Good to be here. It's good to see you. What a busy time. I have never seen so much activity around American schools, political and otherwise, at this moment in history. And here we sit in New York City, home of the largest school district in the country, and everything is fraught with the questions of mask and vaccine mandates. And we can see that this has been an ongoing issue here, complicated by a number of things, being that the first year of the pandemic, we didn't have vaccines. 
And now we are getting vaccines, although not all children are covered yet. Soon to be, though, according to the FDA, that young children, five to 11, will have access to this new vaccine before the end of the year. So where are we in New York City on these mask and vaccine mandates? And, and it doesn't seem to be as controversial in the schools here as it is elsewhere throughout the country. What are your thoughts, David? Well, New York City surprisingly has uh, made a successful transition to in-person learning, mask wearing in the schools. By and large, pretty good attendance, it appears. Staffing arrangements are problematic, but not critical. So uh, the bottom line, I think, is that we're back in, in New York City and trying to get back to normal. I've been in several schools and the attendance looks pretty good. And I think that there are serious issues with social emotional condition of our students. Um, but at the same time, I think our educators are well prepared to handle that. And so I'm hopeful. We also have a great infusion of money coming to the city, uh, not only through COVID relief, which after all is a, is a one shot, but through reform of the state foundation aid formula so that New York City will be getting more money from the state in the years to come. One of the important aspects of schools is the daily lunch program. And during the, the pandemic, the mayor managed to organize with the schools feeding centers. So it was not just for kids, but they actually distributed food from the schools. And that seems to be intact now, which is very important, especially for young kids. One of the lessons of the pandemic was that the schools are more than for the three R's. They really are uh, centers of, of community life, important to the health and welfare of students and parents, in addition to their uh, important educational function. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I listened recently to the mayor on his weekly Brian Lair question and answer period, and he actually admitted that he made mistakes in the first year opening and closing of the schools. He said he learned a lot and he was advising his fellow mayors around New York to get ahead of the winter and get those mandates in place. The mandates are, are key to, to keeping our educators safe. And it's wonderful news that it looks like our students are going to be vaccinated soon as well. Yes, this, this will be a game changer, I think, especially for little kids who probably haven't been able to see their grandparents for a long time just because of the risk involved. This will be a game changer. With regard to curriculum diversification, one of the things that has emerged, which is very curious, and I'm sure you have more to say about all aspects of curriculum diversification, but also this emerging instrumentalization of critical race theory, which is not taught in K through 12. It is a law school theory of application for law students to understand structural racism through their law training. And now it is a major issue 
in today's election for the governor of Virginia. What are your thoughts about curriculum diversification in general? And let's talk about this critical race theory politicalization. The right has been ingenious at, at weaponizing these uh, issues of, you know, whether it's mask wearing or, or vaccinations or the curriculum. These have uh, tended to be not big deals in, in New York in, in the sense of, of the vituperative response elsewhere in the country. Although, remember that under Carranza, we sort of seem to have fought those battles and uh, they, they're more under the surface now. Certainly the mask wearing, the vaccination mandates have come through. I think that we're still going to have some discussion, but not warfare over the, um, the diversification of our curriculum. But uh, remember, uh, the attorney general has been called on to intervene in, in some of the threats that have gone on in terms of school board members elsewhere in the country, and, and that's not happening in New York. Yes, it's kind of shocking that now there are reports on the evening news, including the national news, of school board meetings where violence has broken out, that people are being attacked, and people who were once considered a very responsible member of school boards, which are all at the local level across the country, are now being attacked because they don't uh, pose critical race theory that isn't even taught. These poor board members, these are yes. lay people. They're not educators. They work for free. They're volunteers. And uh, now many of them are being attacked, as you say, uh, over what goes on in, in the schools in their, in their districts. All we're really saying as educators is it's important to teach truth. And truth means not being censored. The fascistic censoring of, of the curriculum by certain Republican governors and legislatures is, is really a threat because I believe that those are illegal and unconstitutional mm -hmm. statutes, but at the same time, it is chilling the education that our children are able to receive. Yeah, I agree. And the attorney general has spoken out about this. And I would say it's kind of analogous as to what is going on with election officials. There's all these attacks on people and election officials are similarly volunteer. Most of those are not professional jobs. And now this has actually creeped into our education space where people are screaming at school board members and attacking them. Um, and it seems to emanate from racism. I mean, they people actually think critical race theory is a critique of white people, of their own racism. And they, they say, well, of course I'm not racist and it shouldn't be taught to my child. My child shouldn't think negatively about anything. And this is actually whitewashing, of course, the history of the country, but it's completely irrational and it's been weaponized. Well, you make a very good point. It's not 
much of a difference between voter suppression and knowledge suppression. It looks like we are moving into an era of know-nothingism where we're trying to keep out voters who want to move the, the system toward change and the change itself, which is to speak about the reality of racism in the United States. You also mentioned, you know, the mask mandates. And just for a minute, we can back up. You you look at the state of Texas and the state of Florida. Both governors are Republican in this case, have banned mask mandates, not just in schools, but almost everywhere, actually sort of running small business, their rules. And uh, we're talking about really putting people in jeopardy from uh, Main Street to the classroom. And this, again, is very, very disturbing to see happening across the country. I think we're just going to have to wait for this to play itself out with, let's hope, the reduction of infections and deaths. Um, because in, in many states, it's just illegal to put into effect a mask mandate. Even school districts, which want to put into effect the mandates, are being prevented by their governors. That's right. In the state of Florida, they've even threatened uh, withdrawing their salaries. Very bizarre. In this environment, we are uh, confronted with the practicalities of remote and in-person learning. This is a new situation for K through 12. And of course it affects all of us that work in universities. What are your thoughts about the remote learning that took place last year in New York? At least we've moved back into in-person learning in K through 12. I think what's, what's happened is that we learned the advantages of remote learning and the deep flaws of remote learning. So uh, today in New York City, it's election day, and it's supposedly a remote learning day for New York City school children. It's really a wasted day. And, and I was talking to my students last night in a course I'm teaching on New York City education after de Blasio. And I think these kind of remote learning light days demean the meaning of education. To tell kids that it's a school day, but they only have a few hours of asynchronous instruction, I think it just makes a mockery of what school really is and ought to be. So I hope we get away from these remote learning days, but use technology in the classroom in a more effective way. And that I hope is the lesson of the pandemic in terms of remote learning, that it's in school learning using technology and not babysitting off of a Zoom. For sure. And I can imagine what a nightmare it was for teachers of children, like from fifth grade down, I just, you know, I mean, at any grade level, but particularly for young children who are just starting school or in the early years of school, that must have been very difficult for them. And there was a report by the state of New York that last year was only one in three children took their statewide math and English tests. One in five. One in five. Okay, thank you. Let's hope this is also a lesson to the federal government that the the testing regime that's been in place for about 20 years now um, has really hurt education more than helped education. It's nice to have some macro data 
but all the time and effort spent on texting kids and preparing them for the test really right. takes away from constructive education rather than improves it. ISTICS testing has really been demonstrated to have hurt a lot of people. And there's a lot of people in your profession, David, that talk about this quite a bit. Does it seem like uh, Albany is starting to listen to, well, to well, this Albany, discourse? Well, Albany has, has listened and tried to get the Secretary of Education, Cardona, to waive mm -hmm. last year's uh, tests. Uh, he refused to do so. I think it's going to take a, a statutory change in, in the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is the successor to No Child Left Behind, which oh, this is at the federal house. level. In, but, in uh, but until that happens, I think we're still going to be locked into this, even though the testing itself has kind of been demeaned in importance. But it's a vestige of the accountability movement from the first decade of the 21st century. And uh, we're stuck with it for uh, at least a little while longer. This was really pushed by Obama, wasn't it? Well, it's pushed by by uh, George W. Bush. That's right. It started with and, Bush. And, and yeah. the supposed Texas miracle, which was debunked early into even Bush's term. But again, you know, the politicization of education, is, which is what we've been talking about, is really a story of, of the 21st century, not as much so back in the 20th century. But that, I'm afraid, is, is really here to stay, too. Well, we'll come back and discuss this maybe after some congressional action. You mentioned earlier the increased state foundation aid to New York State. Some of it's based on COVID relief funding for schools, but it's also part of a broader um, effort to provide monetary assistance to the schools. How is this going to be used? Is, how will the, the city of New York apply this money and use it? Well, right now we have two main streams of new funding. One is the COVID funding, which is one shot. So uh, it really would be a mistake, though I think a uh, great temptation that de Blasio has kind of fallen into in terms of hiring new staff, because the problem with hiring new staff is you're gonna have to fire those staff uh, right. members when, when the money runs out or do something about it. Uh, and, and that money right now uh, isn't foreseeable coming from the federal government. On the other hand, the foundation aid formula change, I think is a promise that will be kept. Again, it's only a promise of keeping the foundation aid formula changes in place in the coming years, but that ought to be a major source of increased funding for the children of, of New York City, particularly in the hiring of support staff like counselors and social workers, perhaps also to reduce class size, which means hiring more teachers. Exactly. That'll be something to watch for sure. So not only are we talking about increased aid to schools and the challenges that de Blasio has faced during his tenure as mayor with regard to the schools. We have an election day today and the likely outcome, given the voter profile in New York City is dominated by Democrats, the likely outcome is, is that Eric Adams will be elected mayor today. 
the New York Times this past weekend had a uh, staff editorial about what they'd like him to do with regard to schools. And what are your thoughts about not just the New York Times piece, but your own about what Eric Adams should do and should make as a priority going forward as the new mayor of the city for the children of New York City? I think we're at an interesting moment. Uh, Eric Adams did not run as the education mayor, unlike de Blasio, for sure. And even Bloomberg, who ran on a platform of taking mayoral control of the city. So his was a, a governance platform. De Blasio's was not only the uh, preschool education, which has been a great success, but also to heal the, the tale of two cities, which has not been a success at all. I would say it's right. an abject failure. But, but here comes Adams, who's kind of the law and order, or as he puts it, the law and justice candidate with very little track record on the schools. He has not been, in my opinion, progressive enough on the schools issue. He hasn't pushed integration. He hasn't pushed for elimination of the GNT programs. In fact, he wants to expand the GNT, gifted and talented programs, right. which I think right. further segregate the schools. But also that gives me some hope that unlike de Blasio, Adams might actually let the chancellor run the schools instead of having the schools run out of city hall. And I look forward to the uh, choice of a, of a new chancellor. I hope it's a more open process than just the anointment of an individual by the mayor. Uh, we ought to have an open process. We should have a national search. We should have hearings so that the people can understand who the candidates for chancellor are rather than have a fait accompli. On the other hand, um, David Banks, who everybody thinks is the odds-on favor to become the chancellor, he's a supporter of Adams, and I would say Adams is a supporter of Banks. This is an experienced Black educator. Adams is a Black man, and there is a hope that these people have particular insight into the, uh, the, the students of color who make up the majority of New York City school children. Yeah, that'll be interesting uh, to watch and will be, I think, a major indicator, as you said, of how he will govern. And, you know, let's hope that he allows the chancellor to take the lead. That'll be interesting to watch. One of the issues that you've been really active on and you've really stood out on, to your credit, is the political influence that has been used to keep the yeshivas in New York City able to not adhere to state curriculum standards. Now, you got a new mayor coming in. What are your thoughts on that scenario? Because you've really carved out a, a niche here, uh, David, on this topic that a lot of people have discussed for years and nobody's done anything about it. The audience should understand that it's state law that all schools, I mean, after all, this really is what a school is, are required to have substantially equivalent secular education, the standard core subjects. 
in many of the ultra-Orthodox yeshivas in New York City, there are essentially no secular education, particularly for the young men who are expected to live lives of Talmudic and Torah study rather than to enter the workforce. The issue is severe, but not as severe for women who are expected to go out and get jobs. So uh, what I've been fighting for for many years, uh, and and I am independent of the the main organization that's also fighting for this called Yafed, who are graduates of these schools who left those schools not knowing basic English, science, social studies, and the other core subjects. So unfortunately, Eric Adams and the political establishment have bowed to the voting block of the ultra-Orthodox leadership which I think disserves its own constituents in not educating these, these kids. And so we will continue to fight, although I think we're gonna be fighting Adams um, as well as having fought de Blasio for the last eight years. Yes, uh, what's interesting about Eric Adams is he's not only from Brooklyn, but it's anticipated after tonight's votes are counted, that all citywide officials will be from the borough of Brooklyn. Now, that's an interesting thought. I think it's incumbent for those politicians who really know that community well to Mm -hmm. insist that the community act within the law. And I would say with the incoming city council, cut off millions and tens of millions of dollars going to that community in support of those schools, which are acting in violation of the law. Interesting point. I would add that speaking of city council tonight, it is expected for the first time in the history of the city that the majority of city council members will be women. And I think it's a new generation with a couple of exceptions. Gail Brewer's running again for city council. But uh, these are new politicians, probably. Uh, We've seen the same thing happen in Albany, in the Assembly, and even in the Senate. And it's probably one of the reasons why Andrew Cuomo is no longer governor. It'll be interesting to see their relationship, how it will play out between city council and this incoming mayor. It's very true. We are turning the page. A majority of the city council uh, is term limited. uh, So we're going to see a a new uh, speaker of of the council. We're going to see a new chair of the education committee, as well as in Albany, there will be a governor's race coming up. And I expect education will be a major issue. Yes, agreed. And before we go, Uh, Congratulations uh, to you, uh, David, on being acknowledged with an invitation to join an amici brief on an upcoming Supreme Court case filed with respect to Maine, the state of Maine, and it's been brought against the state official there who is the commissioner of the Maine Department of Education who has sought to deny taxpayer dollars to support private schools. She's being sued, and you were um, invited to endorse the amici brief that defends this principle of uh, public money for public education. What are your thoughts on this case? And now, again, in the next term, we have a major education case. Right. So 
it's very important to keep an eye on how the court is, is looking at religion in general and government support for religious organizations. We saw that in the early days of the pandemic, where the new conservative majority on the court seems to be tilting very much toward religious rights and the religious right. And this is a case out of Maine where the religious right is going full bore for full recognition of state funding for sectarian education, which has the, uh, the real possibility of blowing up the idea of America as the home of common schools and rather uh, partitioning into different, mostly religious private schools. Almost all of the private schools in, in the country are religious. Uh, not, that's not the case in New York City, but it's true across the Hudson. And um, we'll be looking at that case very closely to see how the conservative majority votes in, in this main case, which will be argued and decided this term. It's a significant case. And um, now two years in a row, you've got education cases before this court. That's also interesting development. I expect there's going to be much more contestation given the overall state of affairs between the public and schools. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, David. You're welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for tuning into the Thought Project, and thanks to our guest, Professor David Bloomfield of Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. The Thought Project is brought to you with production, engineering, and technical assistance by Kevin Wolf of CUNY TV. I'm Tanya Domi. Tune in next week.